0: Part Four, Chapter Three of Australia Felix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Australia Felix by Henry Handel Richardson. Part Four, Chapter Three. It had struck two before the party began to break up. The first move made, however, the guests left in batches, escorting one another to their respective house doors the henry ocock's buggy had been in waiting for some time and mrs henry's pretty head was drooping with fatigue before henry who was in the vein could tear himself from the card-table mahony went to the front gate with them then strolled with the longs to the corner of the road he was in no hurry to retrace his steps the air was balmy after that of the overcrowded rooms and it was a fabulously beautiful night the earth lay steeped in moonshine as in the light of a silver sun Trees and shrubs were patterned to their last leaf on the ground before them. What odd mental twist made mortals choose rather to huddle indoors by puny candlelight than to be abroad laving themselves in a splendour such as this? Leaning his arms on the top rail of a fence, he looked across the slope at the flat, now hushed and still as the encampment of a sleeping army. Beyond, the bush shimmered palely grey. In his younger years he had been used, on a night like this, when the moon sailed full and free, to take his gun and go opossuming. Those two old woody gods, Warren Heap and Bunignong, stood out more imposingly than by day, but the rangers seemed to have retreated. The light lay upon them like a visible burden, flattening their contours, filling up clefts and fissures with a milky haze. "'Good evening, Doctor.' Spoken in his very ear, the words made him jump. He had been lost in contemplation, and the address had a ghostly suddenness. But it was no ghost that stood beside him, nor indeed was it a night for those presences to be abroad, whose element is the dark. Ill-pleased at the intrusion, he returned but a stiff nod, then, since he could not in decency greet and leave take in a breath, feigned to go on for a minute with his study of the landscape, after which he said, "'Well, I must be moving. Good-night to you.' "'So you're off your sleep, too, are you?' As often happens, the impulse to speak was a joint one. The words collided. Instinctively, Mahony shrank into himself. This familiar bracketing of his person with another's was distasteful to him. Besides, the man who had sprung up at his elbow bore a reputation that was none of the best. The owner of a small chemist's shop on the flat, he contrived to give offence in sundry ways— He was irreligious, an infidel his neighbours had it, and of a Sabbath would scour his premises or hoe potatoes rather than attend church or chapel. Though not a confirmed drunkard, he had been seen to stagger in the street and be unable to answer when spoken to. Also, the woman with whom he lived was not generally believed to be his lawful wife. Hence the public fought shy of his nostrums, and it was a standing riddle how he managed to avoid putting up his shutters. "'More nefarious practices, no doubt,' said the relentless Vox Populi. Seen near at hand, he was a tall, haggard-looking fellow of some forty years of age, the muscles on his neck standing out like those of a skinny old horse. Here his gratuitous assumption of a common bond drew a cold, "'Pray, what reason have you to think that?' from Marnie. And without waiting for a reply, he again said good-night and turned to go. The man accepted the rebuff with a meekness that was painful to see. "'Thought comin' on you like this, you were a case like my own. No offence, I'm sure,' he said humbly. It was evident he was well used to getting the cold shoulder. Mahony stayed his steps. "'What's the matter with you?' he asked. "'Aren't you well? There's a remedy to be found for most ills under the sun.' "'Not for mine. The doctor isn't born, or the drug discovered that would cure me.' The tone of bragging bitterness grated anew. Himself given to the vice of overstatement, Mahony had small mercy on it in others. "'Tut-tut!' he deprecated. There was a brief silence before the speaker went on more quietly. "'You're a young man, doctor. I'm an old one.' And he looked old as he spoke. Mahony saw that he had erred in putting him down as merely elderly. He was old and grey and down at Hill, fifty if a day, and his clothes hung loose on his bony frame. "'You'll excuse me if I say I know better than you.' "'When a man's done, he's done, and that's me. "'Yes,' he grew inflated again in reciting his woes, "'I'm one of your hopeless cases, "'just as surely as if I was being eaten up by a cancer or a consumption. "'To mend me, you doctors'd need to start me afresh from the mother egg.' "'You exaggerate, I'm sure. "'It's that. knowing one's played out, with by right, still a good third of one's life to run. "'That's what puts the sleep away. "'In the daylight it's none so hard to keep the black thoughts under.' themselves they're not so daresome, and there's one's pipe and the haver of the young fry. But night's the time. Then they come trampling along, a whole army of them, carrying banners with letters a dozen feet high, so's you shan't miss remembering what you'd give your soul to forget. And so it'll go on, etc., ad lib, till it pleases the old joker who sits grinning up aloft to put his heel down, as you or me would squash a bull-ant or a scorpion. You speak bitterly, Mr. Tangy.' "'Does a night like this not bring you calmer, clearer thoughts?' And Mahony waved his arm in a large, loose gesture at the sky. His words passed unheeded. The man he addressed spun round and faced him with a rusty laugh. "'Ark at that!' he cried. "'Just ark at it! Why, in all the years I've been in this godforsaken place, long as I've been here, I've never yet heard my own name properly spoken. You're the first, doctor. You shall have the medal.' "'But, man alive, you surely don't let that worry you. "'Why, I've the same thing to put up with every day of my life. "'I smile at it.' "'And Mahony believed what he said, "'forgetting in the antagonism such spleen aroused in him "'the annoyance the false stressing of his own name "'could sometimes cause him. "'So did I once,' said Tangy, and wagged his head. "'But the day came when it seemed the last straw, "'a bit of mean spite on the part of this hell of a country itself. "'You dislike the colony, it appears, intensely.' "'You like it?' The counter-question came tip for tap. "'I can be fair to it, I hope, and appreciate its good sides. As always, the mere hint of an injustice made Mahony passionately just. Came here of your own free will, did you? Weren't crowded out at home, or bamboozled by a pack of lying tales?' Tangie's voice was husky with eagerness. "'That I won't say either, but it is entirely my own choice that I remain here.' "'Well, I say to you, think twice of it. "'If you have the chance of getting away, take it. "'It's no place, this doctor, for the likes of you and me. "'Haven't you never turned and asked yourself "'what the devil you were doing here?' "'And that reminds me. "'There was a line we used to have drummed into us at school. "'It's often come back to me since. Coelum non animum, mutant, qui trans mare current. "'In our green days we gabbled that off by rote.' "'Then it seemed just one more of the eel-slick phrases the classics are full of. "'Now I take off my hat to the man who wrote it. "'He knew what he was talking about by the Lord Arry he did.' "'The Latin had come out tentatively with an odd unused intonation. Mahony's retort, "'How on earth do you know what suits me and what doesn't?' "'Died on his lips. "'He was surprised into silence. "'There had been nothing in the other speech to show that he was a man of any education, "'rather the reverse.' Meanwhile, Tangy went on. I grant you it's an antiquated point of view, but doesn't that go to prove what I've been saying—that you and me are old-fashioned too, out of place here, out of date? The modern sort, the sort that gets on in this country, is a prime and at cutting his coat to suit his cloth. For all that the stopperdomes, like the writer of that line and other ancients, prate about the Ethiopian's eye or the leopard in his spots, they didn't buy their experienced deer like we did didn't guess that if a man don't learn to fit himself in when he gets set down in a land such as this he's a goner any more, and they knew that most of those who old out here all of them at any rate who've climbed the ladder nabbed the plunder have found no more difficulty in changing their spots than they have their trousers yes doctor there's only one breed that flourishes and you don't need me to tell you which it is here they lie and he nodded to right and left of him, dreaming of their money-bags and their dividends and their profits, and how they'll diddle and swindle one another afresh soon as the sun gets up to-morrow. Harder an' nails they are, and sharp as needles. You ask me why I do my walking out in the night-time, it's so's to avoid the sight of their mean little eyes and their greedy, grasping faces. Mahony's murmured disclaimer fell on deaf ears. Like one who had been bottled up for months, Tangy flowed on what a life what a set what a place to end one's days in remember if you can the yarns that were spun around it for our benefit from twenty thousand safe miles away it was the land of promise and plenty top full of gold strewn over with nuggets that only waited for hands to pick em up lies lies from beginning to end I say to you, this is the hardest and cruellest country ever created, and a man like me is no more good here than the muck, the pairings and stale fish guts and other leavens that knocks about a harbour and washes against the walls. I'll tell you, the only use I'll have been here, doctor, when my end comes, I'll dung some bit o' land for em with my moulder and rot, that's all. They'll do better with my sort if they knocked us on the head betimes and boiled us down for our fat and marrow.' "'Not much in that line to be got from your carcass, my friend,' thought Mahony with an inward smile. But Patanji had paused merely to draw breath. "'What I say is, instead o' laying snares for us, it ought to be forbid by law to give men o' my make shiproom room. At home in the old country we'd find our little nook, and jog along decently to the end of our days. But just the staid, respectable, orderly sort I belong to's neither needed nor wanted here.' "'I fall to thinking sometimes on the fates of the hundreds of honest, steady-going lads, "'who at one time or another have chucked up their jobs over there for this. "'The drink no doubt took most. "'They never knew before that one could sweat as you sweat here. "'And the rest? "'Well, just accident, or the sun, or dysentery, "'or the bloody toil that goes by the name of work in these parts. "'You know the list, doctor, better'n' me.' They say the waste of life in a new country can't be helped, doesn't matter, has to be. But that's cold comfort to the wasted. Now, I say to you, there ought to be an act of Parliament to prevent young fellows squandering themselves, throwing away their lives, as I did mine. For when we're young, we're not sane. Youth's a fever of the brain. And I was young once, though you mightn't believe it. I had straight joints, and no pouch under my chin, and my full share of windy hopes.' a senseless truck these to be spilled overboard bit by bit like on a hundred-mile tramp a new chum finishes by pitchin from his swag all the needless rubbish he started with what's wanted to get on here's something quite else horny palms and costive bowels more'n a dash of the sharper and no sickly squeamishness about knocking out other men and steppin into their shoes "'and I was only an ordinary young chap, "'not over-strong or over-shrewd, but honest, "'honest by God I was. "'That didn't count. "'It even stood in my way. "'For I was too good for this, "'and too mealy-mouthed for that, "'and while I stuck considering the fairness of a job, "'someone who didn't care a damn whether it was fair or not "'walked in over my head and took it from me.' "'There isn't anything I haven't tried my luck at, "'and with everything it's been the same. "'Nothing's prospered, the money wouldn't come, "'or stick if it did. "'And so here I am, all that's left of me. "'It isn't much, and by and by a few rank weeds'll spring from it, "'and old Joey there, who's paid to grub around the graves, "'old Joey'll curse and say, "'A weedy fellow, that, a rotten weedy blackguard, "'and spit on his hands and hoe till the weeds lie bleeding their juices.' "'the last airs of me, the last issue of my loins. "'Pray, does it never occur to you, you fool, "'that flowers may spring from you?' "'He had listened to Tangie's diatribe "'in a white heat of impatience, "'but when he spoke he struck an easy tone, "'nor was he in any hesitation how to reply, "'for that he had played devil's advocate "'all too often with himself in private. "'An unlovely country, yes, "'as Englishmen understood beauty, "'and yet not without a charm of its own.' an arduous life, certainly, and one full of pitfalls for the weak or the unwary. Yet he believed it was no more impossible to win through here and with clean hands than anywhere else. To generalise, as his companion had done, was absurd, preposterous, too, the notion that those of their fellow-townsmen who had carried off the prizes owed their success to some superiority in bodily strength, or sharp dealing, or thickness of skin. With Mr. Tangy's permission, he would cite himself as an example. He was neither a very robust man, nor, he ventured to say, one of any marked ability in the other two directions. Yet he had managed to succeed without, in the process, sacrificing jot or tittle of his principles, and to-day he held a position that any member of his profession across the seas might envy him. "'Yes, but till you got there,' cried Tanji, "'hasn't every superfluous bit of you, every thought of interest that wasn't essential to the diley grind, been pared off?' "'If,' said Mahony stiffening, "'if what you mean by that is have I allowed my mind to grow narrow and sluggish, I can honestly answer no.' In his heart he denied the charge even more warmly, for as he spoke he saw the great cork-slabs on which hundreds of moths and butterflies made dazzling spots of colour, saw the sheets of pink blotting-paper between which his collection of native plants lay pressed, the glass case filled with geological specimens, his Bible, the margins of which round genesis were black with his handwriting, a pile of books on the new marvel spiritualism, Colenso's Pentateuch, the big black volumes of the Arcana Coelestia, Locke on Miracles. He saw all these things and more. You "'No, know, I'm glad to say, I've retained many interests outside my work,' Tanji had taken off his spectacles and was polishing them on a crumpled handkerchief. He seemed about to reply, even made a quick half-turn towards Mahony, then thought better of it and went on rubbing. A smile played around his lips. "'And in conclusion let me say this,' went on Mahony, not unnettled by his companion's expression, "'it's sheer folly to talk about what life makes of us. Life is not an active force. It's we who make what we will of life.' and in order to shape it to the best of our powers, Mr. Tangy, to put our brief span to the best possible use, we must never lose faith in God or our fellow-men, never forget that whatever happens there is a sky with stars in it above us.' "'Ah, there's a lot of bunkum talked about life,' returned Tangy dryly, and settled his glasses on his nose. "'And as man gets near the end of it, he sees just what bunkum it is.' "'Life's only got one meaning, doctor, seen plain. "'There's only one object in everything we do, "'and that's to keep a sound roof over our heads "'and a bite in our mouths "'and in those of the helpless creatures who depend on us. "'The rest has no more sense or significance "'than a nigger's hammering on the tam-tam. "'The lucky ones of this world don't grasp it, "'but we others do, "'and after all perhaps it's worth while having gone through it "'to have got at one bit of the truth, however small. "'Good-night.' He turned on his heel, and before his words were cold in the air, had vanished, leaving Mahony blankly staring. The moonshine still bathed the earth, gloriously untroubled by the bitterness of human words and thoughts. But the night seemed to have grown chilly, and Mahony gave an involuntary shiver. Someone walking over my—now, what would that specimen have called it—over the four by eight my remains will one day manure. An odd, abusive, wrong-headed fellow, he mused as he made his way home. "'Who would ever have thought, though, that the queer little chemist had so much in him? "'A failure? "'Yes, he was right there, and as unlovely as failures always are at close quarters.' "'But as he laid his hands on the gate, he jerked up his head and exclaimed half aloud, "'God bless my soul! "'What he wanted was not argument or reason, but a little human sympathy. "'As usual, however, the flash of intuition came too late.' "'For such a touchy nature, I am certainly extraordinarily obtuse where the feelings of others are concerned,' he told himself as he hooked on the latch. "'Why, Richard, where have you been?' came Mary's clear voice, muted so as not to disturb John and Jinny, who had retired to rest. Purdy and she sat waiting on the veranda. "'Were you called out? We've had time to clear everything away. Here, dear, I saved you some sandwiches and a glass of carrot. I'm sure you didn't get any supper yourself with looking after other people.' long after mary had fallen asleep he lay wakeful his foolish blunder in response to Tangie's appeal rankled in his mind he could not get over his insensitiveness how he had boasted of his prosperity his moral nicety his saving pursuits he to boast when all that was asked of him was a kindly my poor fellow-soul you have indeed fought a hard fight but there is a god above us who will recompense you at his own time Take the word of one who has also been through the slough of Despond. And then just these, these hobbies of his, of which he had made so much. Now that he was alone with himself, he saw them in a very different light. Lepidoptera, collected years since, were still unregistered, plants and stones unclassified. His poor efforts at elucidating the Bible waited to be brought into line with the higher criticism. Holmes' levitations and fire-tests called for investigation while the leaves of some of the books he had cited had never even been cut. The mere thought of these things was provocative, rest-destroying. To induce drowsiness he went methodically through the list of his acquaintances, and sought to range them under one or other of Tangie's headings. And over this there came moments when he lapsed into depths, fetched himself up again but with an effort, only to fall back. But he seemed barely to have closed his eyes when the night-bell rang, in an instant he was on his feet in the middle of the room, applying force to his sleep-clogged wits. He threw open the sash. "'Who's there? What is it?' "'Henry O'Cock's groom. "'I was to fetch you to our place at once, Governor. "'But is Mrs. Henry taken ill?' "'Not as I know of,' said the man dryly. "'But her and the boss had a bit of a tiff on the way home, and Madam's excited like.' "'And am I to pay for their tiffs?' muttered Mahony hotly. "'Hush, Richard, he'll hear you.' "'Warned Mary, and sat up. "'I shall decline to go. "'Henry's a regular old woman.' "'Mary shook her head. "'You can't afford to offend the Henrys. "'And you know he's so hasty. "'He'll call in someone else on the spot, "'and you'd never get back. "'If only you hadn't stayed out so long, dear, "'looking at the moon. "'Good God, Mary, "'is one never to have a moment to oneself, "'never a particle of pleasure or relaxation.' "'Why, Richard!' expostulated his wife and even felt a trifle ashamed of his petulance. What would you call to-night, I wonder? Wasn't the whole evening one of pleasure and relaxation? And Mahony, struggling into shirt and trousers, had to admit that he would be hard put to it to give it another name. End of Part Four, Chapter Three